okay? Turn to Galatians chapter 5, but uh, what I prayed there, I think, is what the Lord's trying to tell us today. It come over me in the prayer that when I was, I prayed a hedge of protection around the body. And so, you know, when we're under the hedge of God's protection, meaning he say he makes a circle around us. As long as we stay in that circle centered on him, we are protected from the enemy. But a lot of times, uh, uh, say the circle's the stage here, but a lot of times we drift outside and put ourselves in vulnerable places and causes misfortunes in our lives. Uh, some pastors are, are so firm in, in this that, that they believe that, that to the extent that any problem you're having is on you. It's your own fault. Because if you stay centered in the Lord, then it's going to be okay. And I'm not 100% there yet, but I can see where he's coming from. But, but that's what this passage of Scripture, I believe, Paul was trying to do. And let's just read it here. For freedom, Christ set us free. Now, this week is turning point number four. And, and anyway, turning point four, I believe the Lord has spoken to us that we need to, again, just walk in that freedom. And that freedom is salvation. And we're going to talk about that today. But we need to make a bold step today. And I'm going to get into that at the end. But a bold step today in this area. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision. Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, if you're in Sunday school this morning, and what I read to you in Sunday school, you can see this applying a little bit more that this was a big topic back in the day. Uh, verse 4, you are, uh, you are severed from Christ, you who, be just, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by, in other words, what he's saying is they're in that circle of protection and they're going back to old Jewish laws. And Paul was saying to him, when you go back to that old way, that old lifestyle, then you're getting out of the new lifestyle, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision Circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. In other words, walking outside of that, that protection of the Lord. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. If I don't get into that today, guys, God is not the one bringing havoc on your life. The word says that over and over and over. God's not the one causing havoc in your life. And guys, to be honest with you, we blame Satan for a lot of havoc in our life when it's our own silly decisions. But anyway, I'll get that's not another day. 
Verse 9, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And that would preach another day as well. In other words, when you stand for God, you can adjust your lifestyle to, to, to appease men as much as you want, but just the fact that you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. So don't change the Bible or what you believe for people. And you're wasting your breath. You're wasting your time because Paul said to themselves, with, if I wasn't person pe- or preaching this, and you'd persecute me anyway. If I agreed with you, you'd persecute me anyway. <laughs> I've heard 10, 11, 12. <laughs> so we'll go to 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only to do, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in, in, in word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Who was healed this morning up here anyway? There we go. That's what I wanted to see. Boy, that's why I struggled through my reading. The Lord said, ask him who was healed today. Who, who, who touched your, whose lives were touched up here today? But I say to you, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. So that's again saying in that, in that hedge of protection, you won't gratify the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. How many can relate to that? Man, you're battling this thing and, and, and you're starting to give in to it. And, and the Lord speaks to you. You know that if you do that, you're going to give in to it. And you'll say, oh, no, I'm good today. And you do it and you give in to it. And then you feel like you're unworthy. I'm no good now because I failed you, Lord. You, you told me it was coming and I disobeyed and I did it anyway. And now I can't be a Sunday school teacher. Now I can't be that Christian. Now I can't be what you want me to be. See how the enemy works? But if you live by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we can't not preach these things. Because we need to protect people from them. Because you're not saved, you're not going to God. You got to get saved. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion to desires, right? We've crucified our flesh with its passions and desires, right? 
I'm trying, Pastor. Well, I'm trying too. Do the best you can. That's all Jesus asked. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Point one today, freedom, true freedom. Paul addresses freedom in this scripture uh, the first time. Freedom is found in Christ alone. Guys, you will never be free until you receive Jesus Christ as Lord. For freedom, for freedom, Christ has set you free, verse 1. So if you're not free today, then receive Jesus. Salvation. We are called to freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only to do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if we are not walking in freedom today, as believers, then, then we haven't given ourselves totally into the spirit. We're, we're still dabbling in the flesh a little bit. Again, if you're not walking in joy and all the fruits of the spirit, what's keeping you from that? And a lot of times it's the desires of the flesh. You're doing things that are bogging you down. He addresses walking. You know, we're called to freedom. Now we're walking in freedom. But I say by this, say it, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the natures. So again, it's saying you need to be free to be in Christ. You're called to that freedom. Now you need to walk in that freedom. And that freedom is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, I've been trying to memorize these. And you guys know how my memory is. I just start blurting out names till I get the right one. But I've really been working on this. But, but it really hit me. How can we walk in the steps with the Holy Spirit? Well, first off, how can we walk in the calling of the Holy Spirit? How can we walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit, the freedom of God, if we don't even know what the, the fruits are? If we can't name the fruits of the Spirit and know them by heart, how can we walk in them? How many of you can name the fruits of the Spirit? Christina can. We got one, two, three, three people, four people. How many people? Five. Get them up. Just be proud. I know them. Pastor, I got them. Pastor, you're just slower than we are. But we all should have know these by heart. And that's how we gauge our life. Are these fruits, they're in us. We accept Christ, they're in us. And we just got to bring them out of us. We have freedom to do that. And the last freedom is a freedom to serve others in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Point two, the flesh of the spirit, or the flesh and the spirit are opposites. And we talked about that, the flesh wars against the spirit, and they go back and forth. They can't both be in the circle. Oil and water don't mix. When we operate in the spirit, we will be free. When we operate in the flesh, we will be slaves. Slaves. 
Do you ever think about that? So when you're saved and you get set free, later you get delivered of something and man, you're past it. But yet then you go back to it, you're enslaved again. And then you got to press back into the Lord. When we're actively operating in sin, it shackles the believer's ability to walk in freedom. Freedom comes through breaking these shackles that bind us. And what I'm trying to get at today, it's salvation. We break off salvations and are made, or, or shackles and are made righteous in God's eyes. But it's salvation. We, you know, I put out the booze and, and I didn't want the alcohol no more. And I didn't want this no more and that no more. I put some things out there. But as I begin continue to walk in the Spirit, I begin to see other things in my life that were contrary to the Spirit. And anger was one of them. And, and I had to deal with anger. And 10 years later, as I'm walking in the Spirit, the Lord allows me to recognize that, hey, I need to work on this. So we're breaking the shack of anything that shackles us. And God has given us the power to do that by His Holy Spirit. But I am so worried and concerned that, that so many Christians today, as I talked in Sunday school about this bucket list that many preachers believe in today, and this bucket list is about the Bible, and they're talking about how the Bible can be divided into three buckets, pick and choose parts that are one still relevant today. In other words, they're saying that part of the Bible's not relevant today. Others say no longer reflect God's will. They're talking about the Bible here. The Bible really never was God's heart or God's intent. And that's what concerns me as a pastor more than anything I see spiritual people, instead of warring against the flesh, begin to say that, well, God really didn't mean that. And they begin to change the word to adapt to their lifestyle. And they become shackled and bound and believing it. And then they go out and bring others into what they believe, and it really scares me. We need to be prayerful about that, that that the Bible is the inspired word of God and every word in it is as if it was thrown from the mouth of God itself. And we don't pick and choose what he said and didn't say. But Gary Dunn sent a word out this week and, and guys, I tell you, I'm not even getting started here yet, but, but, but it was talking about the very things that all I've shared with you now and he sends this word out Wednesday morning or Thursday morning on September 22nd, 22. And I believe this was God speaking to Oakton, to the church. And again, the words that Gary gets, he believes God spoke to him for himself. But sometimes I think they're for the church and I believe this one is. It says, my son, people, my people trying to fit in it has its problems. In other words, my people trying to fit in has its problems. Trying to be accepted to the world has its issues. 
For a child of mine will not be acceptable to the world. We just read that, and that, that Paul said, if I didn't preach circumcision, you'd still persecute me. A child of mine will, in fact, be different from the world. There's nothing wrong if we're different from what the world believes. We're not different from what God believes, and that's what matters. A child of mine has much different, a much different message to share than that of the world. A child of mine by nature will be controversial to the world and should not fit in. The message delivered, the message they deliver should not be judgmental, but should show more love for those not called by my name. A message that does not bring compromise, but brings reconciliation with me. Their message of salvation in Jesus does not fit into the world's persona and will bring ridicule and contempt from the world. So this is to be expected. This will happen to those who are totally sold out to me. They will not fit in for they cannot fit in. Attempting to do so is a danger that must be avoided. Oil and water do not mix. Neither do things of my kingdom mix with the things of the earthly kingdom. You cannot have one foot in my kingdom and one foot in the world. Trying to fit in cannot work for a child of mine. And I thought, why do I even need to preach anymore when I read that word? And so I got to thinking about the early church and what did they do? How did they respond? And point three, freedom in the early church, the Acts churches. See, the early churches, they were persecuted more than any other religious group before that time because they refused to walk in the flesh and they chose to walk in the freedom of salvation. They were seen as an exclusive, narrow-minded, and a threat to social order of their culture. Kind of like Christians would be today. Kind of like the word given today. Christians were seen as offensive, excluded from circles of influence and business, and often put to death. And there was a move of the Holy Spirit like never before. And the reason being is that that early church was unique. It was set aside based in the things of God, based in the principles of God, based in God's word and the, and the authenticity of Christ. They were a different community, a countercultural community that was both offensive, but get this, but was attractive to many. And God has burned that in me because that, that right there, God has burned me in me this week. A counterculture that was offensive, both offensive and yet also attractive to many. Guys, the people that are talking, you're talking to that, that, that are offended by you, that, that don't like your lifestyle, they're attracted to what is in you, Jesus Christ. They're attracted to what was in the early church, 
because they, they saw the purity and the presence of God in their lives. And five features that I see in the early church is the early church was a multiracial and experienced a unity across the ethnic divide. Throughout the book of Acts, we see remarkable unity between people of different races. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in him the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple, into the Lord in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God's spirit. This world is ethnic divided. There's a big divide amongst the races. There's a big divide amongst the the people of this world. America's response to this is causing division and is failing. America's response to this is not working. The United Methodist Church's response to the ethnic divide is causing more division and is failing. The only thing that's going to bring pure unity in the body of Christ is when we believe that all men are created equal in the eyes of God and nobody's treated any different. I wish we could just take an eraser and go... And erase everything from our minds and just start over. And boy, that statement there would offend any progressive person and maybe some conservative people, but, but we dwell in the past so much that it affects the future. Oakton, we're trying to follow God's will in a multi-ethnic church and it will not fail. We may not be perfect, but it's attractive to people. And they are coming in. If we embrace the multi-ethnic church God desires, we're going to explode and continue in the way we are going. As I think about this, it, you know, it's hard around here because we're mostly of white or Caucasian descent here. But, but in Carthage, I talk about our multi-ethnic service that's going on right now, where the service today is in would you come to church today if, if there's somebody speaking in Spanish and you had to hear it through headsets in English? And next week, if you were up, the guys up here speaking in English and if you're Spanish, then you had to listen to it through headsets. That's how we're doing church down there because we believe that God has called us to be one and we believe God will honor that. And there is an excitement churning It is attractive to people because we're doing something that very few churches are doing. And God is honoring that. I'm not going to say it hadn't been a challenge. It's been a very difficult challenge. We've had Hispanic people and English people leave because it wars against their flesh. They have prejudices on both sides. We have Spanish and English people that tolerate but never really embrace God's vision for a multi-ethnic church. Embracing it is in being involved in seeing its success. 
Oakton, we are a missional church and we have gotten the biggest opportunities. God has provided us the biggest opportunities to go out and break and, and to come together, moth not ethnic, through the Kansas City VBS, through Albania, through, through Mozambique, through, through Liberia, all these areas, God has given us that opportunity. But God has given us an opportunity in our backyard that's just the same at Oakton Carthage. I want to challenge us today that, that to, to support that with all that we are. I want to challenge you today to check what comes out of your mouth because what comes out of your mouth speaketh the heart. And is your heart really behind a multi-ethnical church like the early church because that's why they were so attractive to the world. There were so many different races and beliefs and all this going on around them that when they saw a church coming together, it was attractive to the world and they came around it. They wanted something different, something that would bring unity into their, their people. What not only comes out of our mouth, but what comes from our time, our tithe, and our talents toward making sure that this blended in this awesome service not only continues in Carthage, but goes through all of our facilities. Oakton, are we responding to God's desire to be that multi-ethnic church. The second thing here is the early church was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and anyway, the early church Christians were often excluded and criticized, but they were also actively persecuted, imprisoned, attacked, and killed. They weren't persuaded by their biblical stand, they weren't persuaded by the things of the world and they stood in forgiveness and reconciliation to those that oppressed them. Could you uh, lead somebody to Christ that give you 40 lashes? Could you lead somebody to Christ that, that maybe killed your, one of your family members? Could you lead somebody to Christ that had done something horrible to you? That's what was attractive and appealing and drew people into the early church was their love for people and love for forgiveness and love for reconciliation. In Gary's word today, we will not be accepted by the word, nor will we be different from this, or we, will, we are different from this world. We have a different message to share our message will be controversial. Our message should not be judgmental. Our message should bring reconciliation. They taught forgiveness. They withheld retaliation. Withheld a judgmental spirit against their opponents. In this culture... Vengeance was expected. Even in the Wild West, vengeance was expected. And they showed forgiveness and tried to bring people into restoration. The Bible says, Love your enemies, do good those who hate you. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against you, another forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he repeats a matter separates close friends. We must be a church of love and forgiveness and, and seeking to reconciliate those that persecute us. We must bring a message that does not bring compromise, but brings reconciliation. We have a person making threats against our church this day, and steps have been taken today to protect our church, and we are safe. Went to a lot of work to make sure we we're safe today. We stand with the family that it's enduring this persecution. We love the family that's enduring this persecution, and, and we want to surround them and protect them and love on them and bring them closer to Christ. Getting a lot of amens on that. But the one bringing offense to the church. Offense to this family, persecution to this family, persecution to this church. Could we love them, forgive them, and lead them to Christ? That's why I love about our security team is they're not looking for the first way to, to pack a gun and drop somebody down. They're looking for a way to pack the word and lead them to Christ. You see, people just need Christ. This person is shackled and needs to be set free. We must love, forgive, and be a church of reconciliation. Be able to, anybody walks in these doors, be able to forgive like Christ forgave and forget like Christ forgave and, and allow God to minister to them. I get tired of the empty threats all the time. If you allow this person to come to church, I'll no longer come because they're a bum. Come on. We must embrace all people. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Tickled me last night while I was working on this part. Karen has watched one of them Kissy thingies in Walmart shows, Hallmark shows, or whatever they are. <laughs> and these guys, same old story. That's why I call them Walmart. But I, I'm sorry, honey. I forgive me. She don't like me when I do that. But but anyway, the I'm sitting there and, and I look up and this guy is building this condo. Is the whole theme of the story. And this little girl that had a bakery, he was trying to take her land. And her bakery was thriving, and, and anyway, they were disgruntled with each other. And that was the show. So at the end of the show, she makes him a cake from her bakery and takes it to him. And he loves the cake so much that he drops all charges and allows her store to stay. And that's what was going on while I'm writing this. Just think, if, if somebody offends you, bring a birthday cake. <laughs> Have I ever offended you? Bring me a cake. <laughs> I don't like your hair. Bring me a cake. 
I never did like Joe. Bring me another cake. When you offend somebody, man, or somebody offends you, love on them. Talk to them about Christ. Bake them a cake. Everybody's going to get a lot of cake. Yeah, everybody's going to get a lot of cake. I hope they get the spirituals and they fence to this. But the early church was famous, number three, for its hospitality to pour out on the uh, hospitality for the poor and the suffering. And, and, and that hospitality drew people in. And because of time, I'm going to move quicker through this and tie point four with it. But, but it was compared to the Good Samaritan. And we know a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him dead, half dead. We see a priest goes by in and, and, and Luke 10, 31. We see a Levite goes by in Luke 10, 32. Did you note that Jesus used the Christian belief and Jesus used the Jewish belief and said none of them helped him? But then he's this good Samaritan saw him, had compassion on him, dressed his wounds, set him on his own animal, took him into an inn, took care of him, gave money to take care of him after he had to go. Then told the innkeeper, if he spends that, bill me for the rest. That's the heart the early church had. And, 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 and that's a, a good Samaritan means a charitable terrible person by the way hospitality means friendly and welcoming the strangers and guests but it's attractive i'm not talking about shaking somebody's hand at the door that's attractive to people man i hear about all the time man i went to this church you need to do this because they made me feel like something well that's a form of hospitality but but what the early church was not only letting them feel welcome in the church they were meeting their physical and spiritual needs completely as Acts 4 said, there was no needy person amongst them. So we move over to 4, this extreme, this extreme love for the poor and the unsaved and the down and out. It was, it was effective and it was, was drawing in the outside. They were taking older, notice the early church, point 4, was a community committed to sanctity of life. And obviously, abortions wasn't a big thing. It was rare back then, most likely. But although another common practice was used, it was called infant exposure, meaning unwanted infants were literally thrown out into garbage heaps to either die or be taken by traitors into slavery and prostitution. Horrible things. The early church would police these dumps, if you will, and they would take out the unwanted infants, the unwanted wanted children, and take them and raise them up. They took notice. The Roman, the people of that time took notice, and it was appealing to them. The same thing happened in Albania with special needs kids. They would keep them locked up in rooms or, or they would dump them on the streets. And that's why the Jonathan House at Oakton that you've supported over there 
It's touching many lives and it's educating people that, hey, these kids are valuable and they're keeping them in the homes. They, the church was effective and is effective in Albania on this very subject, but the church was effective in this area back in the day. We're helping through life choices and the sanctity of life, but we give 200 a month for that and many, many other fundraisers. Their belief is not in abortion, but in change or adoption. We have an opportunity here in the Oakton body that through our arms ministry, we're in need of someone to take care of a person to raise them. Let me know if you're interested. Aunt Shay told me when we took on the Spanish ministry, she'd been doing it in Kansas City for years. She warned me that kid, they're going to bring kids up to your doorstep and leave them at the church door when their parents are caught for being illegal and sent home. It happened to her, she said, several times. Are we a church that would take on a baby if somebody dumped it on our porch? I would hope so. What about somebody in need that comes into the body physically? Are we a church that will help them to the point that what we're doing affects those around us and it causes them to make changes in their lives and the first one being is receiving Christ. And last, the early church was sexually countercultural. Roman culture insisted that married women of social status abstain from, abstain from sex outside of marriage, but it was expected that men, even married men, would have sex with people of lower, people lower on, on, on the status ladder, slaves, prostitutes, and children. This wasn't only allowed, it was regarded as, as something you just do, unavoidable. It was a part of life. This was in part because sex in the culture was already considered an expression of one's social status. Sex was mainly seen as a mere physical appetite that was irresistible. The early church Christians forbid any sex outside of a heterosexual marriage. The early church saw sex as a way to give oneself wholly to another and in doing so intimate and connected to God. They were. The pagan world eventually took in this practice because it was attractive to them. They saw what the early Christian church, the people they're beating the tar out of, the people they were starving, they saw what they were doing and they began to prank, change their practices. to give way to a stricter Christian practice. I could talk all day, but some Christians have been attracted to the pagan practices of sexual immorality and gave way to them. Many churches, the EMC church included, United Methodist Church included, have been attracted to pagan practices 
and gave way to them. Sexual immorality is sex with people other than a wife or a future wife. Have we forgotten about the five scriptures? This always blows my mind because when I started preaching weddings, there was five scriptures that said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Five scriptures. You can't find five scriptures. Very few. You probably could, but very... Find five scriptures that say the same thing. Old and New Testament. Must be pretty important to God. Have we forgotten those? Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.4-6, Mark 10.7, 1 Corinthians 6.16, Ephesians 5.31. Have we forgotten there are nine scriptures from the Old and New Testament confirming marriage is only between a man and a woman? Genesis 1.27, Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.13, Genesis 19, Romans 1.26, 1 Timothy 7.2, 1 Timothy 1.10, Jude 7, 1 Corinthians 6.9. A child of mine will in fact be different from the world. A child of mine has much different message to share than that of the world. A child of mine by nature will be controversial to the world and should not fit in. The message they deliver should not be judgmental, but should be by my love for those who are called my name. A message that does not bring compromise, but a message that brings reconciliation. I want to read 1 Corinthians 6 6 and 9 to you of these 14 that I can show you today. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And a lot of you are saying, Yahoo, he's bashing the homosexuals. No, Yahoo, I'm seeing the power in God's word. Because Paul said, some of you were these things, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were set free. We should have that heart of Christ that that when we see people suffering physically or spiritually or caught up in sexual immorality that will bring them destruction, we need to not be judgmental to, to bring them in. We cannot give in to the world. We cannot give in to the world. We must give in to God. And the fifth thing is we must take that love challenge. We use this at weddings, and I close with this, but we use it at weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things that was to the church that was to you that that, that, that's that's not only just for marriages that's for the way we should respond to people The early church didn't fit in around their culture, but rather challenged their culture in love. And their love was so attractive that Christianity changed the world. 
We must be so attractive in what we believe and how we love that it changes people. And you can't do that through a judgmental, judgmental, critical spirit. Believe me, I know. Especially when it comes to loved ones. You're seen as narrow-minded, accused of being judgmental, even alienated. You'll be hurt. You're going to feel alone at times. You're going to feel like you lost them. They're going to tear your heart out. But you have to stay the course of love. You have to stay the course of love. And not be judgmental and critical and just speak God's word over them. Pray for them. Don't compromise your what you believe. And Christ will become attracted to them. And they will turn to Christ. I believe that with all my heart. I see it all the time. Many of you are here today and you said you'd never be a Christian. But somebody worked on you until Christ became attractive to you and you received him. Praise team, come forward and stand to your feet today. But we're at a turning point today. And guys, I skimmed and I've, I don't apologize, but, but I skimmed and, and I, I pray that this word that you got a hold of what the Lord's trying to say to us today. But Oakton, we're at a turning point. Will we follow Christ's example? Like the early church did. We are facing the same trials, the same tribulations. Nothing's new under the sun. We need to recognize that our freedom is in Christ, that we're called to freedom, that we need to walk in freedom, and that we need to love in freedom. Point two, we need to accept the fact that the flesh and spirit are, are, are warring against each other. And I didn't even get into the, the, the Paul broke them down into four areas. Paul really got in there. Maybe I'll talk about that next week, but he really got in there and divided the four areas that we can compromise in. But point three, that we are a community, a church community of hospitality that values sanctity of life, countercultural, and loving. But today I challenge you to take the love challenge God has called us to. I, I challenge you to take the love challenge that you're going to love everybody that God puts into your life and your goal is going to be to bring them to Christ without compromise. That's the turning point today. Will you make that stand today? Only you can do it. But are you saved today? Salvation is freedom. Come and be saved. If you recognize their sin and hindrances as a believer in your life, come repent. Turn back to your freedom and salvation. But God, I really believe saying the turning point for Oakton is we got to commit to the love challenge. Commit to be a church 
that receives in all races. And our goal is to be one. Our goal is to be that multi-ethnical church. That multi-racial church. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I can't just I just give it to you today. You've ministered to your people. Ask that they respond to you. These altars are open today for your pleasure. And if it's attracted to you, come and pray to Jesus. Praise Steve.